You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. We're not there yet, but this is obviously a good start. Gino going to take a shot, gets hit as he throws. And the ball just flutters to the ground. And once again, the pass rush hammers Gino Smith. Oh, no! We suck again! Hey, what's going on? Happy Monday. It is Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, filling in just for one day for Mike Halford. He'll be back tomorrow. Jason Bruff is here. Laddie and A-Dog are here as well. Halford and Bruff is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour one of the show brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit everythingfinancial.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, do- dogs. I, ne- I nearly called them dogs. <laughs> the dogs. Hello. The, this week, we're the, the dogs. Family. Yeah. Uh, good morning. I've, I've done the show with you guys a fair number of times now. I don't know that I've ever done the show with the, uh, the official Canucks of One intro now a lot of that's because i'm doing it in the summer mm-hmm. but it's, so uh, it's hard for them to it's win hard the for them to win yeah. i mean another thing to be critical of they haven't before. been very good in the summer. um but it's nice what a change of pace mm-hmm. to come in and talk about another big uh, canucks one by the way 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text line dunbar lumber with three stores to serve you in ladner on bridge street or dunbar lumber express at ladner center or arbutus in vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com big show Coming up at 6.30, uh, David Amber of Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada will join us. We'll get his thoughts on the Canucks. Some of the other big stories happening around the NHL as well. You might have heard uh, Austin Matthews' back-to-back hat tricks to open mm-hmm. the season. So we'll, we'll really you, do a you, deep you, dive. You might have heard that. Deep dive on that. Yeah. Just for you, bro. Have, have we heard anything about how they don't look good defensively? Yeah, have we heard they anything about that? barely beat the Montreal Canadiens yeah, and yeah. had to desperately that? claw back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they've got a big decision to make with Nylander, and I don't know how that's going to go. Goaltending hasn't been great either. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, no, no, but it'll be yeah, Matthews. That's <laughs> two hat tricks. Yeah. Uh, 7.30, Mike Tannier of the Messenger, Monday morning, quarterback uh, to weigh in on everything that happened on the NFL Sunday yesterday, as you heard there, the Seahawks falling to the Bengals in Cincinnati. It was a very grinding week of football. I think unders so far are something like 12 and 2. Wow. It's been defensive battles. And uh, by the way, people made fun of me for my lock of the week, Cleveland over San Francisco. I didn't expect them to win. I just expected them to cover the plus 10. They beat the 49ers. That Browns defense is playing at another level. Well, right there's now. some great defenses out there, including the New York Jets. Yeah. They're now three and three. Yeah. Like they 
one of the things that we're going to talk about with Mike, because he wrote about it, is like they could make the playoffs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they got a big win uh, over the Eagles last night. So lots to talk about there with Mike. At 8 o'clock, uh, the goalie guru, Kevin Woodley from Ingoal Magazine and NHL.com joins us uh, again to weigh in on the Canucks. And, uh, hey, what a performance from Casey DeSmith. On Saturday in Edmonton, we'll do what we learned at 8.30. So lots coming up. Uh, let's start with what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. Uh, the big one, What Happened, Jason, the Canucks, 2-0 and after sweeping the Edmonton Oilers in a home-and-home -home series to start the season. 4-3, they win on Hockey Night and Saturday night in Edmonton. Yeah, it wasn't an 8-1 destruction no, not quite. of the Oilers, but the Canucks still still did a lot of good things. Actually, you know what? Instead of calling them good things, I'm going to call them admirable Oh, wow, okay. In their 4-3 victory Saturday night in Edmonton. Uh, as expected, the Oilers came out of the gates flying, and by the end of the game, they had actually outshot the Canucks I think it was 40 to 16 or 41 to 16. Edmonton had seven power plays on, and scored on two of them, but the Canucks still came away with the win. So how did they do it? Well, these are the types of gutsy wins that good teams get on the road or admirable teams get on the road. The Oilers, I think here here's here's what happened. The Oilers were just never able to run away with the game. You thought yep. they might. You thought they might after scoring in the first minute and Vander Kane had a big hit on Philip. I think it was on Philip Hironic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this was expected. And they came out and they scored and everyone was like, yeah, they were pretty embarrassed about what happened in Vancouver. But the Canucks responded with a power play goal by Andre Kuzmenko and then took the lead when Nils Hoaglander, who had a pretty good game, yep. tipped a Brock Besser shot past Stuart Skinner. So you're like, okay, great response by the Canucks. Still two periods left. McDavid tied it early in the second. But again, the Canucks responded. They had a response, and it was almost immediate when Jack Stadnika finished off a 2-on-0 with Elias Pettersson. And there was a bit of luck there for the Canucks too, right? The, the Oilers were the ones that they missed a shot. It, it rimmed around, got past all the Oilers on the ice, and the Canucks, who had actually made a change on the back check, yep. had their guys that were like, we're ready for <laughs> we're the 2-on-0. And then all of a sudden, Petey and Stanika are in on a 2-on-0, and Petey gives it to Stanika, and he scores. So, once again, the, the Canucks are in the lead. Now, the Oilers tied it again, and that's how it went into the third period. And then Sam Lafferty scored one of my favorite goals that the Canucks have scored in the last, I don't know, decade when Hoaglander, once again, hit him with a good pass as Lafferty was racing through the neutral zone, he flew in on Matthias Ekholm, who the Oilers had apparently missed a lot in yep. game one, and then he just, he just put his shoulder down and forced his way toward the net. Ekholm couldn't get his stick on the puck, and Lafferty was able to rip it past Skinner, and it was 4-3 for the Canucks. After that, the Canucks just had to batten down the hatches, and they had to kill off five-on-three mm -hmm. Oilers power play, and Casey DeSmith battled his butt off. Like, he was – he had an admirable effort, too, 
and he showed the importance of having a good backup because Thatcher Demko, I wouldn't be surprised if he still wasn't 100%. Yeah. Just physically, and that's probably why Casey DeSmith got the start. At the end of the day, though, I've kind of recapped the game. At the end of the day, I cannot imagine a better start for the Canucks. Um, It's only been two games, but they've showed us a lot. And, you know, the most impressive thing in the the summary of what you listed there, how it went down on Saturday, for me is the way that they – the most admirable thing, if you will, the way they didn't let the game get out of control Mm -hmm. after that first shift. Yeah. Because, like – and everyone knew to expect that Edmonton was going to be really ticked off. They embarrassed themselves in game one. They're going home. They're, they wanted to put on a show for their fans and and make it right. And it looked like they were going to do just that. Like, they came out as if that was a playoff game, right? Like, that's how you would start a playoff game. Throwing the body, swarming the net, and eventually getting the goal. And it's really easy to imagine past editions of this Canucks team basically folding the tent right then, right? Like, oh, yep. yeah, we're not going to win this game. Mm-hmm. It's over. Now McDavid's coming after us, and then we're going to – it's going to be 2 nothing. and there you go. And then instead, you know, it wasn't necessarily pretty. Like, Edmonton, you know, was still had their chances, especially in the second and third period, but they stabilized. They managed to stabilize enough to the point mm-hmm. where they're actually leading. That was the most impressive thing for me is that they didn't let it snowball from – a tough start where you knew Edmonton was going to come out hot to being down 2 3 nothing, and, and the game feeling out of reach. I wonder how that game would have been perceived if it was – if it had occurred late in the season last year. Mm. Like, would it have just been like, oh, the Oilers are so much better than the Canucks. Like, the Canucks were lucky to, to win that game, you know. The Oilers, you know, couldn't get a save or whatever. Because the Canucks – had that 8-1 win, and because it's the start of the season, and because we're honestly like, we want them to succeed, um, I wonder how much of that game we're looking at as just like, I'm not trying to downplay the things that they did well, but I'm just wondering how that might have been perceived in a different time. I think the big difference is, because you're right, obviously, you get massively outshot and Mm. outchanced, and your goalie has a great game, and you win by one goal, People are going to say that, and that's fair. The people are texting in, right? Like, hey, they didn't really deserve to win. Uh, the goalie saved it for them. I understand that. I think the difference with the game on Saturday for me is that Edmonton's intensity level was obviously so high, and yeah. the Canucks, I think, matched their intensity. Yeah, yeah, right? I, I, I agree. I'm just playing devil's yeah, advocate here. Yeah. Like, I actually don't agree. Like, I think that, that there's a reason I said it was admirable. Yeah. Like, they, there's going to be a lot of teams, even really good teams, that go into Edmonton. Oh, yeah and get dominated, but there are certain things that you have to do against the Edmonton Oilers, and that is things like block shots, Mm -hmm. and that is things like respond when uh, the Oilers get their goals, because they're going to get goals, and I think the most impressive thing I've seen from the Canucks this year is what we've both been talking about, is how they've responded. Every time there's been, and a lot of it, frankly, for me, has started with the PK. Right, like you, you have to be able to kill penalties, and I know the Oilers ended up scoring what three power play goals in those two games. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty good That's, against the Edmonton right. Oilers, really. And you know what, though the the Canucks PK came through at really key moments, yes. right? And like yes. when it was, you know, okay, don't let this get to two nothing, or don't let them tie the game up here. In the, the first, third... the first game, they they killed off the the first yep. two, and then the 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 one where the Oilers scored, the game was already exactly in the bag. right. Yeah. And then you know it's uh, the five on three, and I know look, Drysaitel hits a post, so there's element of luck there of course but you still they did enough 
enough things well to kill that off. So, yeah, it, it, like like you said with Edmonton in general, Edmonton's going to put up a ton of shots on a bunch of teams at home this year, especially when they're playing as motivated as they mm-hmm. were on Saturday night. That's fine, and they're going to score a bunch of power play goals as well, but can you at least not – can you keep it reasonable? Can you keep it in yeah. check and give yourself a chance to win the well, game still? one of the things you can see them doing is protecting the front of the net. And mm. Rick Tockett has made that a focus. We've got to protect the house. And you can see them doing that. They're blocking shots. Um, and some people will be like, well, you know, yeah, they're collapsing, right? Like Latvia does that against Canada, right? You yeah. know, but hey, sometimes you gotta do it. It's also right? like, sometimes you gotta block yeah. shots. Sometimes when when Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel are are out there, you just gotta be like, hey, let's just let let's just like our goal is not to score, yeah. it's to to frustrate them. And make sure they don't score. And man, if the idea of frustrating the Oilers, if that was the game plan, what a great success because that is one frustrated team in Edmonton. They might say, like, we're not panicking and we know we got a good team. And they might not be panicking. But they were extremely frustrated by what happened well, in those you saw, last two like, games. Look how hard they played on Saturday. That game meant a lot to them, right? You cannot deny that that game meant a lot to them. Of course it did, coming off that 8-1 loss. So for them to lose, yeah, I, I can imagine it would be very frustrating. You know, to your point about collapsing and blocking the net and playing a certain way, I don't think there's any shame in the Canucks recognizing that, okay, Edmonton is a team that has a legit, legit aspirations to win the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. We're not. So we are going to have to play a little differently than them. We can't go in there thinking we're at the same level. We have to know that we're gonna, the way we're going to beat them is through effort, through outworking them, maybe having a little bit of a defensive game plan. That's fine. It's fine to acknowledge that and tailor your game that way against an opponent like Edmonton. I don't have a problem with that. So I was asked yesterday um, by someone uh, I, was, I was coaching hockey with, and he said, Jason, is your job actually harder when the Canucks win? I'm like, no, man. It's, I cannot wait to have a show Monday and share in the excitement with yeah. this Canucks start. Like, we've been dying for this. Like, it got tiring coming in, criticizing the Canucks. It got really old. And I remember our show before the first game of the season. We had Stan Smeal on mm. in the last half hour. And I think everyone just got kind of pumped up for – um just the Canucks to come out and play a team game, play actual hockey, play mm-hmm. for each other, play for the fans, play for, you know, play for the logo, whatever you want to do. Just play like you are actually sick of losing. Cause we heard a lot of, we heard a lot of talk right early yep. on in the preseason. Yeah. We're sick of losing, you know, Thatcher Demko calling it a do or die season, but we didn't really know. Right. Cause we'd heard that before. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, you're sick of losing. Yeah, well, we're sick of watching you losing, right? <laughs> but they're playing like it. And it's only been two games, but I think we should look ahead to the rest of this road trip because um, I'm not sitting here saying that they're going to sweep this road trip, but as far as road trips go, they've definitely got the toughest part out of the way yep. with that win in Edmonton. Now, here's how it goes. They go into Philly on Tuesday. Philly is rebuilding. That is not a good team. They go into Tampa Thursday. Tampa doesn't have Vasilevsky, and, you know, having watched them play Ottawa last night, Tampa is not feeling it right now. Stamkos is hurt. I don't think he played last night. They are in survival mode for the start of the season, Tampa. 
Florida, the same way. Like, there's a reason Ekman Larson is playing 27 minutes a night or yeah. whatever he is for Florida. It's not because he's really good. Say, it's not because it's, he's found the fountain of youth. It's, it's not because he's like, hey, good for him. <laughs> but if you look at the box scores from their last game, um, he played that much because he played like seven or eight minutes on the power play and didn't get a point. So he's piling up a lot of those minutes on – he's running the power play because Ekblad and Montour are out – um, and then they finish off in Nashville, which isn't quite the rebuild that Philly's going through. But they've still got – I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, he's past his prime, and he's their 1C. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. They've still got some excellent players, Forsberg, Yossi, Saros, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, like, this road trip, which has no back-to-backs – in fact, the Canucks are practicing today in Philly. Like, they've got the day to practice, and they'll probably have another practice – uh, between their games, uh, Florida October twenty first and Nashville October twenty fourth, right? Like there is, there's time to breathe on the road. There's no three games in four nights. It's a very reasonable road trip, and if they come back from this road trip like three and two, mm-hmm. then they're four and two overall. That's a great start. Oh, it's a hashtag fanta- the start. Hashtag the start. It's, it's a fantastic it, start. It's perfect, and then they come home and they. They play the St. Louis Blues. So, like, this season, I know they haven't done anything on those games that we've been talking about, but it's looking encouraging. It is. And, look, they, you know, I was joking about it with Drance on Friday. Like, we spent so much time saying it's just one game, and now we're going to do the same thing with it's just two games. But all they can do is perform in those two games, right? Like, we can't judge them on any more than that. You're allowed to right be encouraged. Now. We're allowed yeah, to no, be exactly, encouraged, right? right? Like, like, like people will be like, I'm ready, to, like... I'm ready to get hurt again. <laughs> but, like, fine, yeah, do it, man. Like, That's don't, what it's all about. The efforts that the Canucks have provided and the way they've carried themselves, the way they've handled themselves, I hope has shown them that they can do it because I think there was a self doubt mm. in this team that they didn't think they knew that they could do it. Now they got a long, long, long way to go and there's going to be more adversity as the season unfolds. Um, I think there's probably going to be some moves soon. Like by the sounds of it, the Canucks are working real hard to trade Connor Garland. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we might as well discuss right now um, let's put a little bit of um, cynicism in the start of this segment or what the people call negativity. The right side of the Canucks defense is still very problematic. And I wonder if they're trying to not solve it, because I don't know if they're going to solve it, yeah. but at least alleviate some of the stress in a Connor Garland trade. Uh, Laddie, we've got Freed from uh, Saturday night. Uh, this is what Freed reported on the Connor Garland situation. News out this week with Connor Garland in Vancouver that he's been given permission to talk to other teams. Vancouver tried to get it done before the season so they wouldn't have to play with 17 on opening night, not that it mattered against the Oilers. Now it's harder to predict the timeline because teams tend to wait and see what they've got before making moves, so it's tougher to say when this is going to occur. Among the teams that have been reported to be interested, Columbus, Nashville, and Winnipeg, but I do think there are more. Vancouver has indicated that its goal here is to free up about a million to two million more in cap room after any trade, and they prefer a defenseman in return. So let's go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, Connor Garland, we all know he wouldn't mind getting traded, right? 
He's, he's, fair he's, fair no, to say, I yeah, think. Yeah, he wouldn't mind it, right? <laughs> not looking to be a career Canuck. He's yeah. not looking to be a career Canuck. <laughs> um, right now, the Canucks have issues on the right side. Philip Peronik has been very good. Um, but you got Tyler Myers in a top four role. That's not ideal. And I don't even think that Noah Juleson, Juleson should be on the ice right now. He is not playing very well. He did have some good stints last season when he was paired with Quinn Hughes, but it doesn't look good right now. Ilya Mikheyev is also expected back at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I don't expect him to play on this road trip. I don't know when he's going to be ready, but when Mikheyev is back, assuming there are no other injuries, and that is a big assumption, um, Garland ain't going to be on the top line anymore. And I think Garland only played like nine minutes Saturday in Edmonton, right? Petey played with Lafferty almost as much as he played with uh, Connor Garland because Garland is not part of the special teams. He doesn't kill penalties. Um, he's not on the power play. And in a game like it was uh, against the Edmonton Oilers, where there was a lot of shorthanded time, uh, he just didn't He didn't really get involved. Um, Mikheyev will be a different story. Mikheyev will be involved penalty killing, and he'll probably go up on that top-line spot yeah. with Kuzmenko and Pedersen. So it all kind of makes sense. But the big question that I have is, are the Canucks going to be able to get a half decent right shot defenseman in a trade for Connor Garland, even if they do retain? That seems a bit of a wishful thing. Well, for and me. especially, you know, the other interesting thing that Friedman said there was their goal is not just to trade Connor Garland, specifically, it's also to free up one to two million of cap space. So if you're trying to accomplish both of those things in one trade yeah. early in the season, do you have a defenseman that plays for free? Yeah, like that's really <laughs> difficult to do. And I did think it was interesting, though, hearing that from Friedman because a name that gets brought up a lot when we talk about uh, trading Connor Garland and how do you make the team better by doing it is Ethan Bear. And I'm not saying it's specifically, okay, we need to free up $2 million of cap space so we can sign Ethan Bear at some point in the season, but it is the kind of thing that right now it would not be an option based Mm -hmm. on where they are in the cap. Is that that the main thing what they're doing, trying to to free up cap space? I don't know, but I thought when Fried said specifically one to two million and you start thinking like, okay, prorated contract for Ethan Bear or something like that, I... That that caught me. I just think beyond that, if you're like, okay, we're going to clear salary cap space and get a right shot defenseman mm-hmm. who makes us better than we are right now with Connor Garland in the lineup, look, I'd never say never. Not that it's impossible. That's just a lot to get done in one transaction in, like, October. Yeah, I think they're going to have to deal with Tyler Myers being in the top four for the next yep. little while. But I think on that third pair, when you've got Hiroshi and Juleson together. Yeah. That's hard, man. Like they're they're you know they probably both of them should be in the AHL. Juleson really, you know, it was okay. Has the cameo with Quinn Hughes, but it's a lot different being Quinn Hughes's caddy than it is pairing with a guy like Akita Rose, who also doesn't have much experience at the NHL level. It, yeah, it's a, that's a great point. And I also wonder if Juleson's confidence was rattled a bit in that ten nothing loss to Calgary. Mm. He didn't play well. Yeah, right. So it's a, it is a situation that bears monitoring. I wonder. If the Canucks might consider something like bringing up Cole McWard, but then you're still in that situation, right? I don't like, know. I, you know, like it's not. And I think as 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 long as the Canucks are winning, they're going to keep Hughes and Hronick together. Yeah, I would think so. And Cole and Myers and, and Cole and Myers figure it out on the and third pair and try to manage those minutes like mm-hmm. they did. And yeah, it's going to burn you at some point. But 
you know, I think that's ba- that's basically their best option. I think you need like Cole McWard to me isn't solving the problem. That's that's speculative. I think what the Canucks want, the sense we're getting from Friedman here is they want a credible, no doubt about it, NHL option. That mm-hmm. ideally that you could play with Hughes with confidence. Right? Are there you any names that have down. been bandied about? Like, uh, well, Friedman had the reference. Uh, in his 32 Thoughts written column last week where he said that they're peaking at defense options, and I, I took that as a reference to Andrew Peak ah, in Columbus. I see, okay. So that's one. Right. I mean, Nashville, so Dante Fabro's name is going to come up. I'm not sure. Oh, he finally come to Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, Winnipeg has Dylan DeMello. He's a right-shot guy. I'm just pulling those names out of sure. thin air. But yeah, yeah, Andrew yeah. Peak, I think, has been, uh, has been out there. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You know, game management. You know, that's something that we're we're going to continue to build around here, uh, knowing this. You know, know what's what the situation is. You know, I think there were some times where we had pucks and we didn't get them in deep. You got to look who's on the ice. But you know, we're getting better. Um, that's the positive. Thing. That is Rick Talkett, of course, speaking after the Canucks win in Edmonton on Saturday. Welcome back to Halford and Brav. Jamie Dodd here filling in. For Halford, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Uh, visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. 1170 Powell Street. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can send your thoughts in about uh, the Canucks' hot start to the season. 2-0, both wins over the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, We'll go through some interesting stats from the first couple of games as well. But right before we took the break, uh, we played the latest update from uh, NHL insider Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast, which just released this morning on the Connor Garland situation and echoing some of what he had to say on Saturday. But again, you know, detailing the Canucks would be willing to take term uh, if they really like a player that they're getting back, you know, aiming to clear that one to two million in cap space potentially. And also talking about the nature of the agent change, which is a really interesting wrinkle to this story for a player under contract, not a pending UFA, like not looking at a big decision coming up in the near future to change agents right before the season. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that Friedman said there was this, we might've just heard about this, you know, the day before the season started, but it sounds like it was something that had been percolating before that because the Canucks knew there was a chance they were going to be right up uh, against the cap. And, you know, I think it's kind of been forgotten now because the Canucks are 2-0 and and Connor Garland scored the first goal of the season and all that. There was a really negative fan reaction against Connor Garland. I think there was the perception that he had kind of blindsided the Canucks with a trade request on the eve yeah. of the season. And hired a new agent to do it. Yeah, but I think if you're kind of reading the tea leaves, and no one's come out and said this exactly, but the, the what I'm kind of thinking is... Garland knows the situation. The team's probably been active talking about Connor Garland trades for a while now. Yeah. He knows that. If anything, it's kind of like, okay, you guys are trying to trade me, or you'd be a cert- at the very least, you'd be very open to trading me. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't my agent, my new agent, get involved if we try to speed this up a little bit? Well, and also, if I'm Connor Garland, I want my agent involved so I can maybe go somewhere where I want to go. 
Yeah. Right? If you're trying agent, to have your control. agent is volunteer to be like, hey, uh, don't call Columbus <laughs> or don't call, you know, anywhere where I w- might want to go. I mean, hopefully he didn't say that about Columbus because that could be a match yeah. for for the, the Canucks and Connor Garland. But, um, you know, I, I think I, I'd still be curious to know the entire story mm-hmm. because um, the timing of it was curious, right? And I'd like to know exactly when and why he fired his old agent. Like maybe there might be a completely different reason for, you know, why he fired his agent. We asked Ollywall of this on Friday. He said he knew, but he wasn't going to say. <laughs> and then I texted it after. And, That's a good answer. And I said, uh, so what's the reason? Why did he fire his old agent? He said, my lips are sealed. And I said, and I replied, uh, first time ever. So, um, you know, with, you know, we, we don't know the full story, but I'd like to know it because, you know, I think it would tell us a lot and you want to be fair to a guy like Connor Garland because you're right. The fan reaction was super negative. It was like Connor Garland, uh, waited until like two days before the season started and then requested a trade. But we all know the Canucks have been trying to yeah. deal these guys. I mean, he's in the same boat as Besser, right? They were, they needed to clear cap space and they were the obvious choices. And I think it's very, very interesting if we if we remember back on the press conference that the Canucks held before training camp, the same press conference where Jim Rutherford said, um, if everything goes right, we can be a playoff team. Like that was the main takeaway from that press conference. But he also said, we've still got a few contracts, yep. one or two contracts that I don't like. And everyone was immediately like, oh, Tyler Myers, mm-hmm. right? But I bet – Garland was one of them, well, right? Yeah, the because Tyler, they were actively working on it. Yeah, at the and time. the thing with Tyler Myers is he expires this year. And like, yeah, look, they're not worried you, about him. Would you? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he can't be that high on your priority list. One, he's playing in your top four, <laughs> so it's like he's playing a significant role for you right now. Yeah, you would love to bring in somebody else and have that not be the case, but he's still playing a really important role for you. And he expires, so mm-hmm. who cares at a certain point, right? Like, yeah. he, that's built in. You've already. You've already dealt with the bad parts of Tyler Myers' contract. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like now, you just wait it out. He's you almost can, a, he's an asset. Can now. See the finish line yeah. exactly. So yeah. I don't think it was Tyler Myers. I think it was Garland, and probably still Brock. Like we don't want to talk about it now because he's having a great start mm-hmm. of the season, but probably Brock Besser, yeah. as well, considering his salary and the fact that they tried to trade him. Okay, so I came up with a number of stats that helps explain the Canucks' solid start and. Let's go through some of these now. We can dip into the Dunbar Lumber text line later in the segment. So text in 650, 650. Uh, The first number is perhaps the most obvious number, and that is 940, and that is the Canucks team save percentage. So it's been split between Demko Mm -hmm. and Casey DeSmith. A team is always going to look good when they're getting the goaltending. And I think the Canucks are playing much better in front of their goalies, but there's no question that Thatcher Demko was solid yep. in game one, and then he had to leave. Um, and then Casey DeSmith gets the start on Saturday, and he was he was excellent. Like he, yeah, he allowed three goals, but um, you know he battled hard all night. And I remember when the Canucks made the Casey DeSmith trade, I was kind of like, they've now checked off all the boxes for me on things that they had to do this off season, because the number one thing was, um, shaking up the defense, but also addressing the penalty kill. But that last one that I had, I was like, are they really going into the season with Seelovs and Spencer Spencer Martin Martin. as your candidates for backup goalie? Like I just, 
I can't believe that. And I think, I think it's a huge risk and I feel like we should be talking about this more. And then they went out and got Casey DeSmith, who's by no means like this guaranteed goalie that's going to give you the types of performances that he gave Saturday in Edmonton, but he at least had, you know, tangible NHL experience. He's an established NHL backup. I think it's fair to say. And I think, you know, you're, you're seeing not just in his performance in Edmonton on Saturday, but I think even Tockett's decision to start him, I thought was really fascinating. Now, maybe there's some lingering flu illness or whatever going on with Thatcher Demko, but when you think about it, you know, your starting goalie plays that well in the season opener. You win that big. You got a couple of days off, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like, oh, we're worried about travel or back-to-backs or anything like that. I was pretty surprised to see Casey DeSmith get the call. I think it was a uh, a gutsy call by Talk, and I think it was a good one because, to me, you're playing the long game there, right? You're already thinking about how can we limit Thatcher Demko's workload? How can we keep him thr- fresh mm-hmm. throughout the season? But I don't know if Talkit would make that call if it was Spencer Martin instead of Casey DeSmith, right? Or Archer Shelovs instead of, right? Like, yeah, it becomes totally. so much be easier. Like, Drink some more water, Thatcher. Becomes, <laughs> Hydrate, yeah. buddy. You're going in there. <laughs> Take some Tylenol. Yeah. Uh, it becomes so much easier to make those decisions and to prioritize keeping your starter fresh when you have mm. a legitimate backup. And again, it's great that they got the win, but I think even the fact that Talkit felt comfortable to go to him in that game is like, that's that move paying dividends right away. Okay, here's my my next number. Nine, number nine, number of Canucks who've scored a goal already this season. So they've scored 12 goals. Mm -hmm. Bester's the only guy with more than one goal. He had four in game one. Otherwise, you're looking at like balance scoring across the board. Yeah, the guys that are supposed to score have scored like Kuzmenko and JT and and, and Pedersen, but also you're getting goals from the likes of Dakota Joshua and the most important goal of the season might have been that one by Sam Lafferty, which was so impressive in just the way he used his speed and strength and, frankly, courage to go to the net and score a very important game-winning goal for the Canucks. Uh, so nine Canucks have already scored this season. And oh, Studnika in there, Neil Hoglander in there, right? So when you look at it, I mean, I think technically the fourth line on Saturday was Lafferty, Hoglander, and Studnika. You get goals from all three mm-hmm. of those guys, which yeah. is pretty and P- impressive. And, and Petey played with a bunch of yeah, them, Petey too. Yeah, did. He was out there on the ice for um, a lot of it. And in a related story, four power play goals for the Canucks on nine tries. Everyone's been talking about the PK, and rightly so. It mm-hmm. looks vastly improved, even though the Oilers did score three power play goals over the first two games. Like, that's fine against the Edmonton Oilers. With the amount of power plays that the Canucks gave the Oilers, um, some of them deserved it. Some of them were pretty soft calls, I thought, in my opinion. But the Oilers did get them, and including a five-on-three that the Oilers had and failed to score. But perhaps we're overlooking how good the power play has looked. Four goals already on the season on yep. nine trays, so you're almost at 50%. And I think it's easy to think of it as, like, yeah, we, of course, we know the power play was going to be good. That's mm-hmm. not a big surprise. Yeah. But one, a lot of the power play production came from Bo Horvath yes. last year, so yes. they're integrating somebody new. And Rick Tockett, again, as we talk about kind of gutsy decisions by Rick Tockett, he really went back to the drawing board reshaping and restructuring oh and i love the movement on the power how play. that power play oh, was gonna operate God. and that was a risk because it was yeah. a really good power play mm-hmm. it would have been really easy for rick talkett to look at it and think we have so many other things to <laughs> yeah. work on on this team yeah 
I'm not going to risk upsetting one of the only things that was dependable last year. But don't you think that was been, that would be almost like fun work for the players? Yeah, it's almost like the carrot at the end of the yeah, stick. Yeah, yeah, like like I I would think that a power play with movement where you're encouraging guys not to yep. just stay in their spot and to be creative and you know like I loved what Tockett said is like this whole thing about like that's my spot. He hates that, mm. right? I hate that too. Like, why would you make something predictable? Yeah. Right. If it's Ovi, it's a different story. Like Ovi, you can do whatever you want. You're like you're the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. Um, I'm going to defer to you. But I like a power play where oh, where's Petey? Oh, he's here now. There that now he's there. Like you need to have movement to open up passing lanes, to open up shooting lanes. You don't want to be predictable. Why would you want to be predictable? And I think especially when you have players like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, I throw JT Miller and Andre Kuzmenko into the mix there as well. Like, these are really high hockey IQ guys. Mm -hmm. Like, Elias Pettersson, he's going to have an incredible sense of when to pop up in a different space, when to stay home, right? Like, you don't want to You want him away. thinking, not just exactly. standing. You want him yeah. to, Waiting for the one-timer. You want him to be able to use his ability to process the game at a higher level than almost anyone else. So, speaking of Petey. He already has six points, a goal and five assists. And if you look at his advanced stats, his expected goals at five on five, they're it's ridiculously high. I don't know exactly mm -hmm. what it is. It might be like 80% or something. 73% of expected goals, which put it to put it in context, like they got worked in that metric on Saturday. Yes. Because periods two and three were all Edmonton. Mm -hmm. So the, it, it's even more remarkable when you look at it. Petey's at 73. His line mates or her regular line mates, Garland and Kuzmenko, are at 58 and 57. Nobody else at the Canucks is above 50% right now. Yeah. Because they all got shelled. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, Edmonton was chasing the game. It's not a criticism. You shouldn't be looking too much at these no, stats anywhere but early just, in the season. But it, it puts into relief yeah. how impressive Pedersen has been that even as the rest of the team got completely <laughs> snowed under yeah. for 40 minutes on Saturday, his numbers are still absolutely and, outrageous. And he was playing with all sorts of different line mates. Yeah. So talking talking was joking after the game. He said he pretty much played with everyone. Um, let's talk a bit about Philip Horonic because he played almost twenty four minutes Saturday against Edmonton, um, and at even strength, he's playing more than Quinn Hughes. What have you thought of Horonic's game so far? Yeah, I've liked it. He's yeah. been good, and um, you know it's a nice it's been a nice fit with Quinn Hughes so far. I think the big test is going to be when he's away from Quinn Hughes and he's asked to carry his own pair, whether yes. that's with Ian Cole or Carson Soucy at some point. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I think that's when... When Quinn Hughes is with Andrew Peake. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So once we get Andrew Peake in here. But I think that's when you're really going to see if the trade pays dividends or how many dividends mm -hmm. it pays. Is Okay, do you have a situation now where it's not just you can load up your top two defensemen and have a really good pair, right. but can you split them apart and have two really good pairs that are really effective. So um, this is a thing that I've been hammering on about. Um, I think block shots have got a bad name because block shots mm. have been used so much to um, almost describe if you've got, if you've, if you're blocking a lot of shots, that means That's that, a problem. that you're playing in your own end too much, but shot blocking is a skill. And there are many, many times in a game where you need a shot to be blocked. And um, that is a reason they brought in a guy like Ian Cole, who already has eight block shots on the season. And I think that's worth noting because there was talk from this Canucks management 
about needing guys who were willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting because what does that say about the team that they had in previous seasons? Mm-hmm. Did they feel that a guy like maybe a certain guy that they spent a lot of money to pay to go away wasn't actually willing to get into a shooting lane and block yep. shots. We all remember Chris Tanev and Alex Edler very willing to block shots. And by the end of the tenure, it kind of turned into a negative because there would be times where Tanev and Edler were just like hanging on, you know, by their by their nails basically, you know, just blocking shots. And it was kind of like, you know, yeah, it's admirable, but it all, doesn't say much about the team, they're right? They're also playing 50 games a year because they're <laughs> because they're constantly so constantly, constantly yeah. getting hurt. But like you do need guys to block the shots. Like that's just, that's part of hockey now. Yeah. You know, back in the day, you know, when Al McKinnis was shooting from the point, the message to the the penalty killers was like, get out of the way. Like, first of all, he might kill you, but also like (laughs) you'd almost want to be like, you want to let your goalie see it, right? That's not how the game is played anymore. There's no like, you want to let the goalie see it. You want to get in front of the puck and block it. Well, it's a funny thing with block shots because, as you alluded to, if you're if like 40 games in, you're like bragging that your team leads the league in block shots. That's probably bad. It's That's like, well, bad. You should try yeah, get it. You absolutely. should get the puck some more and, yeah. and stop letting the other team just launch pucks at your net. But in any individual moment, if the other team is getting ready to shoot. Yeah, block the shot. Like, that's mm-hmm. way better than letting it go through to the goalie if you know how to do it and you're not just screening the goalie or or whatever. Like, so it does matter. And, you know, that's the thing. You look at the players they really prioritize bringing in. And obviously, Ian Cole, we haven't had a chance to see Carson Soucy yet. But Pew Suter is another guy who stood out, you know, not just with shot blocking, but the way he uses his stick to break yeah, up plays. Good sticks. Guys who are just have a really high defensive hockey IQ. Teddy Bluger hasn't made his debut, but he falls mm-hmm. into that category as well. I think that all goes together with the shot blocking. It's just understanding, one, the commitment, but also just understanding the defensive game at a high level. Protecting the front of the net. Watch yeah. watch Ian Cole with his stick protecting the front of the net. Like He makes it very difficult to make those seam passes in front of the net. And that's what the Oilers' power play is all about, right? Like their whole mm. idea, their whole idea is to have some misdirection to set up the east-west pass to dry settle and the one-timer, right? It yeah. works a lot because they have, you know, when McDavid's well, can skate downhill, so, skating yeah. downhill on you and you're like, oh, I, I, I should probably pay attention to this so, guy. Then everyone's like, you know, his idea is he's got two options. He's either going to shoot and score or he's going to slide it across yeah. to dry sidle for the one-timer. And it did work in game one, right? The, that was the goal that they scored. The wild thing about the Oilers' power play, too, is that dry sidle is such a good shooter, he can go to such an undangerous area. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like normally you would not be worried about a player from right. over there. So it's yeah. like he can shoot from almost, the goal line. It's honestly. like yeah, we're not he's we're crazy. not used to like taking away that pass because it's like what you're going to send a pass like into the corner. He's going to have like one degree of net to shoot on, yeah. but he's so good he can still score from there. But yeah, the Canucks did a pretty good job of making that a lot more difficult than it normally is for the Oilers. Okay, uh, let's uh, answer a few questions into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, here's one. Is Matt Irwin not an option for the sixth spot? Juleson looks lost. I mean, he didn't get much of a run. No, he didn't. They brought him in as a veteran. I, I Going into training camp, I would have said, oh, yeah, he's almost a lock to be the seventh defenseman. If he, if he, if he was a right shooting defenseman, he'd Maybe. probably be in there. Right? Yeah, but, I mean, they didn't – I don't – just based on how they used him and when he got sent down, it didn't feel. I don't feel like the coaching staff saw a lot there. 
Uh, here's a big question. What are the thoughts on when Pedersen might extend? Has he made any statements on if he wants to stay in Vancouver? You should ask him. Sorry, is this, <laughs> is this a real question? Did yeah. somebody get a, waking up from Did a... someone not, 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 yeah. I mean, Hey, listen. guys, has anyone talked about, uh, did you guys know he's he's out of contract after this year? Not, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, you never know. You never know, right? but I mean, it doesn't, like... nothing, here's, look, nothing that has been said or hinted at or reported suggests that it's happening anytime soon. Yeah. That doesn't mean it couldn't right but there's just no if you're like in 10 games into the season when pd has 60 points they were like <laughs> uh should we talk contract now because this is hey, getting this you, is getting uh... bad this is getting bad for us <laughs> but like it doesn't mean it can't happen but if you're trying to like read the tea leaves and find the secret uh the secret like messages that are saying that elias patterson is going to sign they're just not there right now so mm-hmm. it, it's not going to be for a while I love this. this. This is someone who's upset about my comments about shot blocking. He said, so get uh, Babbage, Diddick, Lume, and tell them they didn't block shots. <laughs> Remember Craig Ludwig? They block shots. Like, I'm just telling you that. As a tactical thing. It's, it's, it's way more uh, part of the game than it is now. And I do remember Craig Ludwig. I remember his shin pads. They were responsible for a lot of those block shots. Yeah, block, blocking shots has always been part of the game, but – defensively <laughs> go watch a game from the 80s like the details oh. are not even close to what they are right now it's pond hockey it's like, pond it's hockey like, like i talk so much about the 1987 canada cup like go watch that there are plays that these guys make that would get them benched if they played <laughs> now right there's not a lot of back checking there's just it's just it's a completely different game it's been coached up and th- if if you go and ask Gerald Diddick or Yurke Lume or Craig Ludwig, if you get them on the show, you know, like how different is it now compared to then? It'd be like, it's very different. Yes. Yeah. I don't think you're uh, insulting the old timers by saying that. No, game, I mean, the little, game has changed. I loved the old time hockey. I thought, yeah. it, I, I, you know, I, th- I think in a lot of ways the NHL had a lot more heart when those guys were playing, but the shot blocking is just something that has to happen now. And there's a lot of focus put on. Staying in shooting lanes, staying in passing lanes, and getting in the way. Yeah, no doubt about it. And as you said, just in general, like the focus on there's there's just so much more coaching now in the game, and it's such an emphasis on uh, what the coaches want you to do than there ever was before. Uh, here's a text from the Canavar. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, did you guys see Hopefully the weekend? Nothing bad. <laughs> Hopefully nothing bad. Did you guys see the weekend the 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 two Canucks uh, right shot uh, defenseman prospects had? Tom Willander and Hunter, is it Brustevich, Brustevich, who leads the OHL in points uh, for all players? Okay, he doesn't still, but Brustevich is having a a great, a very good start, and Willander is having a good start in his uh, college career. Um, We all know about Willander, but what's the story with? Brustevich? <laughs> yeah. Well, Brustevich is like, it's interesting because he produced really well last year in his mm-hmm. draft year in the OHL for a right shot defenseman, and yet he slips to the Canucks in the third round. And I think it's a pretty typical story of, you know, well, yeah, well, he scored a lot of points, but we have questions about the defensive zone, and, you know, we'll have to work right. on that. And he's, he's was not- he almost phenomish, though, when he was young? 
Like, was know. he one of those guys that have been talking? No, I don't think oh, okay. so. I don't think he was like you right. know uh, the next uh, whoever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sean Day or whatever. Who was right, the, yeah. you know, Hopefully, he's not Sean or Day. Aaron Eckblad or whatever. No, I don't think he was that. I think it was just you know he put up like really good, but not generational or anything numbers and people had questions about uh his defensive acumen and his size he's six feet so he's not tiny but he's not like going to be a big punishing guy mm. and, he, and he falls but i mean typically when you look at guys who score like he do he does as a defenseman in the ohl not that they all hit but the future is pretty good the future there's a good chance that he could actually become like even a top four defenseman which mm-hmm. you know you get that from a third round pick that's huge you're listening to the best of halford and Bruff.